because we're above max trap weight for gas. So I'm worried that we're gonna basically hit get hit by lightning, poof, because all the all the gas that we're putting in the atmosphere. My buddy Posh thinks we're gonna get a microburst to get thrown into the ocean. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> Feed, yo, this is exciting, bro. Rain, what's up, brother? Yeah, it's good to have you. Good to catch up. Excited to have you join the E3 team. This is going to be fun. You know, we'll have to have some uh, Navy, Air Force humor. But also, like you, you a former Blue Angel and Slick, a former Thunderbird. I mean, man, we got some guys in tight flights who's getting ready yeah. to run around this place. Building quite the team. <laughs> we have to give Slick, uh, you know, have to beat up on Slick a little bit, too. You know, yeah. better. So, <laughs> well, we were we were digging at the bottom of the barrel when we found you guys, so it's perfect. You know, down rock bottom. <laughs> yeah, we're down there, hey, <laughs> dude. Man, this is uh, and again, this man, is awesome. exciting for people who don't know. Again, F eighteen driver back in the day, flying big flat planes around. I can't talk like uh, me today as well, but uh, aviation enthusiast, Hornet driver. I think Ford Air Controller, Airborne FAC A, which we'll talk about here. Yep. Landed on a boat, which I don't know why anyone would ever do that. <laughs> but apparently that's something you do. And then yeah, Blue Angel, man. So just a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah it's been awesome. It's a really fun career. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Awesome to be joining the team. Rain, thanks for having me, man. This is a blast. Yeah, man. Going into the Navy, did you know you wanted to be a pilot? Because you didn't start the traditional route, right? Like you had to kind of work your way to become a pilot, right? Yeah, I started uh, right out of high school, actually. I was actually in the Navy my last three months of being a senior in high school. And so I joined the Navy right out the gate as an aviation maintainer. I was an aviation electronics technician, worked on F-14s, 18s, E-2s, Prowlers, S-3s, Helos. I worked on all kinds of stuff as an enlisted guy. And, uh, I actually went to school because I wanted to be a real estate agent. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my commanding officer back in the day at Point Magoo, one of the greatest men I ever worked for, Greg Munning, uh, retired captain now. But uh, he actually showed up one day and he goes, hey, uh, Davies, come here. Uh, where's your officer package? I'm like, what officer package? He's like, exactly. <laughs> Where is it? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, I want you to figure that out and go home and think about it. So I uh, started building an officer package and was lucky enough to get selected. Uh, about eight years into my career, uh, put in for an officer package. Like I said, went through flight school, uh, ended up flying super Hornets, uh, went through the typical flight school track. I was pinching myself kind of the whole way through flight school. I was looking back going, man, am I really doing this? It's, is this actually happening? Cause I never thought I would get here because I would continuously think about it going back through flight school. I'd look back at it when I was on the flight deck, watching F-14s launch when it would go from, you know, I'm a badass to then it would go in attention and like, I'm a super badass and it launch off. And I'm like, Oh dude, that is awesome. I'll never do that, but that's awesome. And I used to ask some of the supervisors I used to work for. I was like, guys, how do I do that? They're like, bro, they're, they're officers and you're not. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I Thanks. Thanks, Brad. I get it. But how do we get there from here? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I just, you know, I had 10,000 people tell me no. And I just eventually found one guy that said yes. And I stuck to his hip until he got yeah, me where that's I wanted a theme. To that's a theme. I think for a lot of us, there's always someone like looking out for you, right place, right time. And then there's someone who's willing to like lend a helping hand. Was that op- commanding officer? Was that the maintenance? I don't know how the Navy yep. does it. I don't know how you guys do a lot of stuff. I mean, you land on boats versus runways. <laughs> it's weird stuff, but the, the fact to have some dude like actually step up and say, Hey, uh, you need to go do this. Where's your officer package? That's huge because, again, not a lot of people. Yeah, it's unique and difference from you guys where you guys are ops side and maintenance side. In the Navy world, it's all kind of under one umbrella. And where when I was enlisted, I was uh, a part of an intermediate maintenance activity. So your squadron guys, if they pull a box out of the jet and say, hey, this is broken, that box would go over to a facility that is not attached to the squadron. Yep. And then they would fix that box until it's good to go. Then it would go back on the shelf. Or when a squadron guy pulls a bad box out, he can go to the shelf and put a good box in. So 
Uh, that was where I used to work as an enlisted guy. So I got paid to pull my hair out and figure out what's wrong with this radar or this HUD or something like that until it was good to go. So that was the supervisor. I I knew it. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) Well, yeah. So he, uh, he convinced me, uh, to build an officer package. And then when I graduated OCS, he was my first salute because it meant that much to me. So he and his wife flew out, uh, and saluted me on my, my first salute, which is kind of customary coming out of OCS. Uh, still to this day, I believe, hopefully, that they use actual full silver uh, silver dollar coins that when you have your first salute, you give one to your drill instructor uh, that trains you up and then one to your commanding officer or whoever is your first salute to say thanks. This is awesome. So very, very cool. Dude, that's awesome. I, I These things I never knew about you, you know? I know, man. <laughs> I know. Just, it's probably. I imagine you broke so many radars and HUDs. Are like, we got to get them out of here. So let's just let's promote them, that get them up true. and out. Yep. That's, when that's... we were uh, <laughs> so funny story on the uh, enlisted side of the house, we used to work on the F-14 radar, which was it was electrically controlled, but it was also hydraulically actuated. So we had a ton of alcohol all over uh, to clean all the hydraulic fluid off and all the coolant all and everything, so we could work on the parts. Well, there's nothing to work on. We're a bunch of morons and children, so we get bored. So we'd have these wooden hangers that we could pull each other off if you got electrocuted on the bench. Well, those naturally became hockey sticks. And uh, we would take these these stress balls and we would soak them in rubbing alcohol, and then we would light them on fire. <laughs> we would play, <laughs> we'd play hockey in the shop. And we okay. had uh, my, one of my old COs walk by one day. This is out in a different base. And he, out of the corner of his eye, he saw this rolling ball of fire. <laughs> and he goes, hey, Davies. I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, is that, a, uh, is that a ball of fire I just saw? I'm like, no, sir. I have no clue what to talk about. He goes, you sure? And then my buddy, I didn't realize it behind me, but he was underneath trying to fish it out because it was still on fire underneath the shelf. And he smacks it out behind me, and I don't realize it. He goes, because well, that's the ball of fire that you're talking about right there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll put that on. Don't worry about it, sir. And I stepped on it. The whole thing exploded. So he goes, I'm just going to leave. If I hear the fire alarm go off, I know who to <laughs> rope in. I was like, yes, sir, we got it. No worries. <laughs> Let's promote that guy. Let's get him up that and out of here. Upper management <laughs> written all over. Yeah. I do have a couple <laughs> questions now. One how much power is running through the radar that you require a stick to pull someone away from a table if they're getting electric? Well, so this huge bench, which is about as big as this wall behind me, would yeah. simulate aircraft power. So we would have 400 hertz and everything else, whatever airplane that we were working on, because we would work on E2s, which have tons of power output for radar and all that stuff. 14s, 18s, like I said, just about everything. So we can simulate many different variances of power output and radar output. So, you know, if we have girls, there's why, why. I was going to say, <laughs> you're growing a third eyeball. It makes sense. It's funny that, you know, the, the F 16 has the pitot tube off the end mm-hmm. and it's probably, I don't know. Here, do I have one? Oh yeah. I got one. Here we go. Viewer demo right there. That thing sitting off the end. <laughs> so if you put the radar in spotlight, so drop it down to like plus or minus 10 degrees, which you know you would do if you're trying to really dig in and pick out a target. Supposedly, an equal amount of energy is being bounced off that pitot tube directly back at you in the cockpit. So you're like, oh, that's great. Maybe, that's I, good. maybe I won't spotlight as much if I don't need to spotlight the radar because you're like, oh, well, that's that's going to grow a third yeah, eyeball. I'm a, I, I found myself on the radar too, apparently. Yeah, it's up. <laughs> there I am. It's like turning green. Rain, what are you doing back there? I don't know. I just got cancer again. Gosh, man, that's crazy. I I mean, but it makes sense. You obviously got to test that stuff. And obviously someone had been electrocuted at some point. So they got a stick to pull people off. Yeah, there's 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 a a bad side of all that as well, that we tend to lose some people sometimes because of either short circuit or this or that. And uh, we're trained on that in the workplace where you actually have to be keen on when somebody's working on it you have to have two people working on it just in case one guy gets electrocuted you pull them off pretty quickly so you know when we we uh we joke about it all the time this is back in the old navy days where we would charge capacitors and throw them at each other and be like hey brian like yeah what's up the catch (laughs) (laughs) 
want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. From Showtime and A24. What do you love most about Whitney? Comes a new series unlike any other. Where do I even start? Academy Award winner Emma Stone. I like how you fight for us. Nathan Fielder. Money doesn't really matter when it's about doing the right thing. And Benny Safdie. You guys are strong, right? At the end of the day, you're going to survive, right? Next question. New episodes of The Curse, streaming now on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Oh, people have no idea. This is like, hey, (laughs) I made a post the other day. It was like, um, it was about Syria and Iraq and some combat operations of one of the podcasts today. I was like, most people don't, I mean, I guess they probably do realize, but the amount of power 18 to 30 year olds wield at their fingertips, they're being trusted to go out there and do is I really think about it. Like, Oh, because especially there's some guys in the squadron. I remember we had one young dude and you're like, this guy has 4,000 pounds of bombs. And you know, you just kind of can hear the clown music just playing constantly. There's always (laughs) that guy. We barely trust this guy to drive to work, but Hey, (laughs) we'll give him a $50 million (laughs) jet and a bunch of ordnance and Ford firing and bombs. And it's going to be fine. (laughs) What's the worst that could happen? The the other aspect too. I actually went through, I went through flight school with a guy that uh, was homeschooled and I graduated early from high school and early from college. And he was old enough to fly a jet, but not old enough to have a beer because he wasn't 21 yet going through flight school. Isn't that crazy? Yep. That's what, I mean, a lot of the Europeans coming over for Euro, uh, Euro NATO joint jet pilot training in jet. We do up in Texas. Uh, Mm -hmm. Probably it's every NATO country. I think is there, but a lot of those guys, they start right out of high school into the military academy, and then they're showing up in the states at like nineteen, twenty years old. And, you know, you're with more money than most of us have. <laughs> that is also and true. Like, like, What's the brand new car? You're like, I can't yeah. afford this. It's okay. I have these things. Don't worry. don't worry about it. Now I don't know about the exchange rate today. They're probably getting hit hard. But I, like we had Saudis that would come through Columbus, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, who's G wagon? Is that in the parking lot? Yeah. Or whatever. You know, Lamborghini. Like, <laughs> it's so and so. Ooh. It's either it's either an E three that just joined the military, or it's a Saudi. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. I remember that's, that's funny. I remember being a lieutenant, waiting to go to pilot training. This young airman, brand new in the squadron, same as me. So he's right out of tech school. I mean, he's probably a year into the Air Force, and rolls in, and he has like a Chevy twenty five hundred jacked up. I mean, this thing is probably this is two thousand seven. It's probably a fifty sixty thousand dollar truck. I'm like. What how are did we you get doing? that? It's like, how, well, they take all my money every month, and then I can't pay for gas or insurance. But it looks great. You're like, mm. yeah, I got the payments down to three hundred a month. I'll pay for it for the next twelve years, but it's fine. Twenty nine percent interest. It's going to be fine. <laughs> There's a couple oh, of those man. like uh, meme pages out there with their just like sharing stories of like a picture of some young airman, sailor, marine. Our soldier standing in the car lot with and it's predatory, right? It's around all the military bases yep. with their brand new Camaro. And you're like, this guy's paying like 15% interest and just getting taken. <laughs> you know? Gotta live in the I, air. Uh, so, I, had a, sometimes hard I had an old chief that told me a long time ago, he said, Davies, when you make E4, live like an E4 for the rest of your life and you will be an absolute millionaire. I've yeah. tried. Yeah, that worked out too well, but I've tried to take that advice to heart. <laughs> I think, yeah, just in general, if you can live below your means, like it can work out, Perfect. you know, all the money coming yep. in doesn't need to all go out, you know, unless you're, it's all mm-hmm. going into a savings account for something, you know, some kind of investment yep. that's going to make you more money later mm-hmm. on down the road. Not just, yep. hey, look at this car yeah, with 29% interest. <laughs> yeah. And oh, I'm going to sell it in like two years. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be great. Oh, Resale is great. The, uh, the other aspect of this is the uh, flaming balls of hockey. That piece, I imagine you're not on the boat doing that. 
What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> Touche. Touche. Everyone's, everyone's a firefighter really, on the boat. Uh, everybody is a firefighter on the boat. That's the crazy part is that you, you will learn your job, whatever you go to the ship for. So I was not attached to an air wing in my particular situation. I wasn't attached to an air wing or a ship. So I was a minute man to any carrier or any air wing at any time. So I had found a way to be attached to every ship that the Navy has for a carrier, East coast, West coast, whether it be a week or so that I spent on the boat or deployed on that particular ship. So getting to see different carriers like the Kennedy, Eisenhower, Reagan, Bush, um, Vincent, GW, Truman. It was, it was cool to see, you know, the different designs of the carriers, obviously the enterprise being significantly different because it's the only one that was like that. Uh, but then going to a Nimitz class carrier where the carrier is kind of the same, but what really made or break uh, that deployment was the crew. And the crew, man, you either had an outstanding deployment because you're with the same people all day, every day. Right. You can never get, get away from them. You can maybe go to the front of the ship for an hour, but then you're going to see them when you go by. And you're like, oh, okay. So, you know, the longest that I spent at sea, which is no way uh, close to what some of the guys in current times have been doing, but I spent 112 days at sea without pulling in the port, which at that time was, holy cow, like, if I yeah. see you again, I'm going to. I'm just going to throw you off the ship kind of thing, but you make some outstanding relationships as well. You know, so the smallest things become very, very funny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you start tagging people, this and that, like we fired our executive officer because we had some new guys showing up. So we conjured this entire plan for the new guys to scare the crap out of them that they showed up to the ship. It was four of them. And then, um, the whole, the, the whole ready room was in on it where the executive officer got up and started screaming and yelling at everybody in the ready room. And then the skipper stood up and said, get the hell out of here. You go get the MPs and have this dude arrested. They came in and handcuffed him right there in the middle of the ready room and carried him out. And all the new guys were like, uh, they see, is this really happening? Dude? I'm like, oh, man, welcome to the scratch. Dude. It really sucks. What did One we of get our sister squadron, <laughs> sister squadron dude, amazing. he comes over, he goes, Hey, Steve, man, heard your uh, executive officer got fired. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but he was going to the KOC. He was going to the KOC. So his yeah. bags were packed. Everything was set. And he just flew him off. And then we didn't even tell the new guys until we got back. And you sit in the office. <laughs> and they're like, uh, so the whole squadron just let it kind of go away and let it kind of fizzle out. Let them figure it out when we got back. They're like, what are you doing here? It's like, yeah, dude, really? Really? Just, you think I'd be fired? <laughs> Smack. <laughs> Dude, that's all. The fact that you guys also let it run for like three weeks is epic. <laughs> yeah. So we do this thing in the Navy called folks follies that the LSOs kind of run and lead. And um, you have these line periods that when you land aboard the ship, you get grades. Every time you've landed aboard the boat, you get a grade for it. Whether it's good or bad, the LSOs make that decision, which thank God they've, they keep us safe every time we go flying. And sometimes can't do it without the LSOs. And... Uh, I told those same new guys, I said, Hey dudes, I was the senior JO at the time. I said, Hey, welcome to the squadron guys. Uh, we're out here at the middle of the ocean. Don't come to the ship without a Snoopy suit. And like, what are you talking about? I'm like, don't screw this up. Bring magazines, bring food, bring candy, and don't show up without a Snoopy suit. And they're like, uh, all right, dude. All right. So they showed up. They actually spent 600 bucks on the Snoopy suit. The Snoopy suit head was huge. It was massive. And the whole plan was, is the ship will call Snoopy team away when it's very low vis and they need people out there to look with cameras and such to see if they can see some surface contacts out there. Well, I had dressed up, you know, and had big, massive cardboard goggles that I was going to run out to the front of the boat with and like point up to the tower and be like, <laughs> over here. <laughs> well, they actually started, you know, we had convinced this one new guy to wear it in this folks of follies event. And I said, Hey man, why don't you go hang out with each squadron because we'd be up there in the front of the boat, go hang out with each squadron, hug the CO, do whatever you want, make it awkward. Cause nobody knows who you are. Cause you just got here. So he does all that. He nails it, leaves. And then I have him follow in the official party, which has all the airwing commanders, the ship CO, the Admiral strike group, Admiral, all these guys. And he follows the official party in 
and all he can do is look through the mouth. <laughs> His head is huge. So he's looking through the mouth in the front, looking for a place to sit, and he sees the stars, and he looks at the admiral, and he's like, move. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new guy? <laughs> this dude's been here for less than like five hours. That's <laughs> the awesome. Admiral gets up, admiral gets up and moves in this huge big Snoopy helmet sits down and he's blocking all these O5s and O6s that are trying to pay attention to what's going on and he's like agreeing. (laughs) 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 This dude is awesome. And then eventually when the airway commander gets done, the ship CO stands up and then he starts looking looking around and he goes, nah, he stands up and walks out and we're like, this dude is awesome. (laughs) Ah, Those are boat shenanigans, man. That's, you know, but if like a new guy to do that, you know, and like, you know, be a part of it, that's, that takes some guts. Yeah, some like, ah, sure I'm not going to do it, but it, man, it makes it, it makes it fun and it breaks the stuff up for sure. You know, especially when nobody knows who the guy was, they're like, who was that really? Like, I don't know. Cause he showed up without our squadron. So nobody even knew what squadron he was a part of. We were like, it was perfect. <laughs> Again, for those listening, think about, uh, I, I don't know how much firepower is in a carrier strike group. But I mean that that is a geopolitical moving machine. Like it can it can change the course of nations. Yep. And then you got the, the, the strike group admiral sitting there next to Snoopy. Yeah, well, like- especially you know it's 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 that humor when you have a bad day at the ship. Like for instance, yeah. my buddy uh, <clears throat> my buddy Posh was with me in my backseat. Uh, we were flying south of Australia. We were coming up. We got a brief saying that hey, the ship is on the way home. If you break, you're screwed. So plan accordingly. Don't fly aggressively, but get the mission done. And we were basically staying to the point where we needed to stay qualified. We needed to get day traps and night traps to keep the entire air wing current because we were still the surge carrier on the way home. So to kind of give you perspective of where we were at. Oh, look at that. Uh, There's a map. Yeah. We were actually right over in this area, down in this range. We had just... Uh, docked in Port in Perth, and we had come around this way, and we're coming up through here. So we're doing some some afternoon evening launches to a night recovery. And uh, my buddy Josh Posh Raymond's in the back seat. We are we are on Cat One. Um, my buddy, whose lead is on the catapult, we're right behind the JBD, and we're seeing this wall of water coming. And the atmosphere was super angry, huge big anvils popping up all over the place. We're in the Southern hemisphere. I mean, it's a, it's an angry day and it's a pinky launch to a yeah. night recovery. All the troops on the flight deck run underneath the wings because it just started pouring. The ship starts getting beat pretty bad by the sea. And <laughs> Josh is in the back seat. He's like, dude, are we really going to do this? Man? <laughs> We're like, all right, man, here we go. And right when the, right when the squall line clears, my buddy squash, <laughs> he's off the front end and we're like, Oh, we're really doing this, man. This is happening. And when you think about it, if you're, if you're not carrier aviation, it takes a little bit to explain, but you know, when you're taxiing around on the ramp and you're taxiing around in taxiways and such, if you want to go forward, you add power. If you want to stop, you just use brakes, right? Well, on the flight deck, when the flight deck is doing this, sometimes you just let off the brakes if you want to go forward, you know? So you're just sitting there holding because now all of a sudden you're doing this. You're like, okay, off brakes, adding power on an uphill. So, I mean, it definitely plays with your mind, especially at night when the only indicator that you have that you're actually moving or the ship is rolling is your HUD because you're sitting there looking at this and you see your HUD doing this, but it's pitch black. It's totally pitch black. There's no light pollution anywhere. So the only thing you have is your HUD telling you that you're actually, the ship is moving. So we get up to the catapult. We launch. And then on carry aviation, anytime there's a plane flying in the air, there's a tanker up above. So we launch, we get up to about seven or 8,000 feet, and we're tanking around an anvil. Like literally there's this anvil like this, and we're looking out the left wing. It's this string of chicks in line waiting to get gas. And we're like, dude, the, the atmosphere is really pissed off right now. We're like, look at this. Just stuff's popping up all over the place. We go a couple hundred miles to the west. We get an information uh, from the ship that says, hey, everybody come back. Last event's canceled. We start pointing back, and we hear a guy on the radio say, hey, we're 
diverting to Fiji. And like, you can just tell everybody's like, yes, we're going to Fiji. And so you just see everybody start going towards Fiji. You're like, no, 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 no. We're deviating around Fiji. We're like, damn it. No, <laughs> no. We're all trying to set ourselves up to let somebody else be the first guy to go back to the ship because we know that the ship is just getting crap kicked out of it. And when you think about it from, from carrier standpoint is we need at least around 25 knots across the deck to recover airplanes for kind of the relative recovery speed, right? So if the ship is, if the ship's producing a lot of power, well, then you're going to get a lot of wind across the deck. But if there's a storm out there, then they can save a lot of power from the ship and just sit right underneath the anvil and get a lot of natural wind, which of course is very fun for us, right? Because now the ship is now just getting the crap kicked out of it because it's not moving at all. So it's just at the right. fate of the seas, right? Well, due to sequencing, we were the first ones to come down just based on where everybody was at trying to come back to the ship, which you never want to be the first guy to come back to the boat. And here we are coming back. And typical NVG rules, got to have your goggles off so you can get depth perception and night vision back in your eyes. And I see on the canopy glare, I see my buddy Posh in the back seat because he's like, I'm not taking my goggles off, man. There's lightning cracking everywhere it is just popping everywhere we're dumping down because we're above max trap weight for gas so i'm worried that we're gonna basically hit get hit by lightning poof because all the all the gas that we're putting in the atmosphere my buddy posh thinks we're gonna get a microburst to get thrown into the ocean and i'm like oh man <laughs> so we just send down and we get set up and posh is sitting in the back seat and he goes hey feed you're doing a great job man um I've done everything I can do, so I'm just gonna just gonna put my head down. <laughs> so I'm like, thanks, man. And so Dude. it is lightning so much, and it's it. I mean, it is like landing in a dance club of strobe lights, just boom, boom, boom. And I can see the boat is boom, it's here, boom, it's here, boom, it's here. So I can't track it because the lightning is just cracking so much and so so much in frequency, and it's so bright because there's no other light pollution out there. And I actually got a uh, got an arrival named after me called the Davies One Arrival because I'd be like steel idle wires. Bam! <laughs> that would hit so hard. Thank God we landed first pass. And Posh was in the back. He's like, dude, I cannot believe that just happened. But I was so nervous that all I could do was hold the brakes because my legs were shaking so badly that I'm like, oh god. I don't think they realized how close we were to dying right there. <laughs> so, and the guy in the land, you know, the yellow shirt's like, dude, get out of the landing area. I'm like, I'm trying, man. I'm sending orders down. Nothing's coming back up. So can you just give me a second? You know, and you can tell when pilots are scared because the jet kind of yeah. skips just a little bit. But that was uh, one moment that stuck out as probably the scariest, scariest time I've had in carrier aviation was I thought I was actually going to hit the back of the ship. But thank God we did not. Yeah, there's a lot of, I want to talk about I want to talk about that for sure. I I think that's one thing too never having landed on a boat. That absolutely sounds terrifying. Everything you just described there. But I will say and it doesn't compare. I know it's apples and oranges, but probably I have five landings or so that you're like this was really sporty and that I mean that would be the highest adrenaline spike and heart rate spike I had in the jet was during these certain landing types. Yeah. I was doing that on the boat because again, you know, once you're out there cruising, if you're dropping bombs and dealing with bad guys and stuff like that, I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I don't know. It's it's something weird. But like when it's landing, you're like, it's gonna work out. My brakes aren't working. This is not fun. Uh, I can't see yeah. anything. Yeah, not. I have no gas. Yeah, not where you want to be in life. Yeah. The, um, so talk. I've talked to a couple LSOs like trying to understand that whole deal but it's like the where you're describing the sea state and that that ship like rocking and like grading every landing so uh, this is the the introduction to me is like hey we grade every single landing right because from coming up initial i don't think you guys call it initial but the break rolling out mm -hmm. on final like all that is timed and they're saying you know by standing it into the boat watching it if it's a high sea state they know when you roll out on final based on that timing that they've worked out where the stern right back to the boat maybe <laughs> port starboard ahoy um ahoy. yeah <laughs> where, where that is going to be and if it's like an early wave off because 
you know, you might be coming down the chute and while the runway is uh, pitching and rolling there, like you think you're on glide path and then all of a sudden the back end of the boat comes up 15 feet and smack into the bottom of the jet or you're into the side yeah. or into the back of the boat. Yeah. No, not, not where you want to be. Yeah. It gets scary because some of the stuff that the LSOs can see, and once again, I'm not an LSO and thank God for, for them because they keep us safe, but they see things that the pilot may or may not see coming down the chute yeah. and they're tracking the timing of the ship because if it's an organized sea state, then it's easier for them to be able to calculate where the flight deck is going to be at touchdown. Where if it's a really angry sea state, the sea is super pissed and there's no organization to the boat whatsoever. Now they're going to back that wave off window out. They're going to say, okay, if, if, if we see that you're out of sync, we're going to wave you off early because we don't want to push a bad situation and make it worse. Where sometimes you as a pilot, anybody that's an aviator knows that when you're coming into land, sometimes, especially at night, you may see things real time and your brain's telling you something, but it's actually not exactly what you're seeing right now. Because, you know, from a perspective of you landing an airplane, you're kind of used to seeing a runway look like this. But when it looks like that, you get the idea that you're super high. So you want to pull power right. off. You're like, man, why do I look high right now? But now you see your carrier at night do that. You're like, oh my God, I'm super low. So based on the experience of a pilot flying aboard the ship, that's where the LSOs will come in and be like, you're on glide path, little power. And they're super calm on the radio, which is what you need to hear as a pilot that's shaking in his boots right now or her boots and screaming in your mind going, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. But when you hear that nice, calm, relaxing voice on the radio, it really pays a huge dividend for you to be able to come aboard the, you know, the, the flight deck safely. As a tanker pilot, when you're sitting above watching the clown show happen and you see these people boltering and boltering, you're like, my turn's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not helping. it's not helping it's not helping <laughs> yep uh and there's no one there to save the tanker um which That's is true which is a, you probably got actually a little bit of extra gas the, the other pack you know back into the beginning is no light pollution on the deck so if that thing is pitching and rolling i think you know for people just to visualize darkness and like dark dark yep. like you've never seen before what that's doing to your inner ear and mess with you. Cause the only thing, again, maybe I can relate to is every time I would go into the weather on the tanker, I'm like instantly, I think I'm in 90 degrees of bank. I just get the mm -hmm. a case of the leans really bad. But if you're on the deck doing that pitching and rolling and then look at the HUD for me when I'm on the tanker, that would, like I would know basically, you know, it's like, all right, Hey, I am straight and level, but it would, it would hurt so much worse for me personally. So it's just like, it's messing with you. And then you're yep. launching off into the darkness, coming back. Like to me, it's just wild. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot where, you know, we were in Afghanistan doing a mission out there. And if you, if the guys that you talk to on the ground know what you're doing, because for you guys, sometimes you guys will launch and you guys will be in, in the kill box within a few, what, 30 minutes, 45, maybe an hour, yep. depending on where you guys are launching from. Or sometimes for the Navy guys, it'll take us two and a half hours, three hours to get there launching from where we are out in the ocean. So depending on what the mission is, when we check out with the JTAC on the ground, they're like, hey, dude, thanks for the work. Awesome job. Go catch a three-wire. And you're like, ah, this guy knows. And you're like, oh, thank you, because we don't know what the sea states are going to be like when we get back. You know, uh, coming back from a mission, I was going to be the night tanker that evening. I was up on the platform with the LSOs. There was a sandstorm that was 10,000 feet and down with zero, zero viz. And so anytime you hear 99 taxi lights on, it's a bad day at the ship. So, you know, it's like, turn your taxi light on because the paddles can't see you. So they need as much as they can to be able to see you. And so during the daytime, when you've got your taxi lights on, that's the kind of the first thing that they'll see is they'll pick you out in a huge sandstorm where it's zero, zero viz. And I remember being the night tanker that I was going to launch a couple hours from now. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh boy, <laughs> like our margins of safety are dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And This episode is brought to you by Undeniably Dairy. Dairy farmers are more than farmers. They're climate caretakers. They see water as a precious resource. Most farmers recycle water up to four times, from chilling the milk to irrigating the crops. And some even use technology to turn manure into renewable energy. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. 
this sea, um, the sandstorm that it hit, it was so wide that it covered Saudi Arabia, most of the Indian Ocean, Persian Gulf, up into the whole Middle East area. So there's real, no real divert of where you could go. So you're kind of pot committed, and especially for the E2 that can't tank uh, at that time, you're watching these guys, which is called a, a platform cam. And there was so much sand in the air that the antennas from the ship were getting distorted by the sand in the air. So the E2 couldn't line up properly, and they kept ending up in the very top right of the screen. They would wave off. They'd come back around. Now they're pot committed. They have to land aboard the ship. There's not really a divert capability for them. So I think it was a couple of times, maybe three or four passes, before they finally came in and the paddle saved them and got them in. When you think about the wingspan of an E2, you don't have a lot of margin of error outside of the landing area before you start hitting airplanes. So they got to be pretty nat's ass when they land this airplane aboard the ship. Now, granted, they're not going as fast, but still doesn't matter because you've got to be nat's ass and land on center line. If paddles see that you're going to start hitting airplanes, they'll wave you off and try it again, wave it off, try it again. And it, I remember distinctly uh, one of my buddies, uh, U-Turn, was uh, coming in on this mission where in Afghanistan it was crystal clear. It, was, it wasn't bad weather, but traveling so far with the help of Air Force tankers getting us all the way back home, you don't know until you check in with the ship and they're like, 99 tax lights on. They're like, okay. <laughs> It's time to start stretching it out. This one's going to hurt. It's going to shot a monster. Here we go, boys. <laughs> yeah, it's after, after seven, eight hours flying. <laughs> yeah. oh, but, I dude. mean, you'll start to break out. You'll break out a taxi light at less than a quarter mile, you know, less than an eighth of a mile. And you can't see the ship because it's just zero, zero vis. But, you know, my hat's off to the paddles because they kept us all safe. Yeah. I didn't say at the beginning, but I've said it on multiple podcasts before. Like, I don't need to land on a boat. I want to do a catch shot. I don't need to land on a boat. So, and you're just reinforcing this. I want to talk guidance now. So I know there's magic carpet. So if you could talk to me about what, what that is, but I want to back up to even before magic carpet, like I'm familiar with a PAR. Is that precision approach radar? Navy term yep. where they're like telling you up, down, left, right. They're basically flying your jet for you via radio and you're doing mm -hmm. what they're telling you to do. What guidance are you seeing in a Hornet? to get you down to the boat, like where the LSO is telling you call the ball, you know, you know, what, what's, what's happening yeah, there? How, so, how do you do so, it yeah. old school to today? Case one, two, and three case one being the best weather, which we'll do at daytime. And then case three, which is what you'll do at night or bad weather. So okay. case two being kind of the marginal. All right. If we can bring you in uh, on an approach, get you close to the ship and then you can do a VFR pattern. That's what we'll do. But case three is okay. We're dropped below VFR. Now we're going to bring everybody in on pretty much a, a straight in. So kind of lengthy explanation on how they do all that. Basically, they'll have you on an extended center line a couple of degrees off, and then they'll kind of hold, they'll rack and stack everybody and bring everybody in about 60 seconds at a time so everybody's separated. And then what they will do is you get within a few miles of the ship, you have either needles or bullseye. So ACLS which is basically an aircraft carrier landing system, uh, as we would call, uh, put the bathtub inside the Blossy Vector. So it's essentially uh, a needle that will show up with a little circle that you will fly, which you can picture this kind of 3D geometry of what on and on would look like all the way down. So as this circle in your HUD starts to go above the Blossy Vector, you're below glide path. And then basically you want that circle inside the Blossy Vector all the way to touchdown, or you have your standard ILS needles. So we will use those. Sometimes we'll use both of those in kind of a bad weather situation. Uh, keep them on and on. So you got your ILS needles and your ACLS dot per se that will basically have the airplane flying all the way down to touchdown. But you don't Magic have an ILS on the boat, right? ILS is uh, what we would call the bullseye there. So uh, okay. we do have, but we do not have. Hornets at that time did not have ILS capability at civilian fields. Okay. So there's a Blue Angel software where we did have uh, ILS software put in for the Hornets for the Blue Angels, but in gray jets at the time, we did not have that. Gotcha. Magic Carpet, which is kind of the newer version of all that, came out after I did, uh, after I retired. Uh, so this now, the big difference between that technology and what Magic Carpet does is all the information that the airplanes used to be getting was sent from the ship. 
where now Magic Carpet is all on board of the airplane. And I could be hit or miss on, on some of the information. So don't quote right. me on it. But pretty much uh, I can plug in some information in the airplane, and now I'm kind of self-sustained flying aboard the boat, which is a huge difference, which will keep a lot of people safe. Mainly because if you think about it from a parallax perspective, if we tell the ship, hey, here's our information, but we have all these airplanes in a line, the possibility of somebody putting in the wrong information and sending bad data to the wrong airplane because we're on a line is it's not right. high, but it is possible. So it takes some, uh, some experienced aviators when they're flying for what we call an automatic landing, um, where you can literally couple up to the boat and they'll hold onto the towel racks and watch the airplane do its thing all the way to touchdown. So yeah, cause auto first time I did, everything. Yep. Yeah, you'll see the stick move. You watch the auto throttles come up and fly. Uh, back and forth and all that. So it does, sometimes you sit there and watch it and you're like, oh, and you can click out and manual fly if you wanted to. If for some reason the ship's sea state was too far out of whack or the ILS was not keeping up or something like that, you could click out and manual fly from that gotcha. point. I guess it's one thing I never really thought about too much because we'd come back and shoot an approach, uh, radar trail, so you'd be two miles, two miles, two miles, two miles. You're not really worried about a Viper size uh, aircraft messing up the ILS. But if you're mm -hmm. talking like, hey, if you would have air to air tack and bleed overs and we're using air to air tack and I'm sure you guys use it the same in the Hornet mm -hmm. and the Viper for ranging in formation. So you know how you know far line abreast you are from your element mate there. But uh, I was just you know, kind of jumping to the FedEx and Southwest deal mm -hmm. where FedEx, you know, uh, the Southwest guy, you know, went on the runway, took a long time and. FedEx had to go around, but that weather was so bad that day. And, you know, again, in the fighter world, you're not really worried about the ILS critical area. So protected area away <laughs> yeah. from the runway for those listening <laughs> that you don't put a big piece of metal in, such as an airplane. If the weather's really bad because of the, the precision approach capabilities of airliners, they can go down to never seeing the runway if it's doing an auto mm -hmm. land, but you can't have any metal interfering. Uh, yep. Or anything. Yeah, it's that, crazy that being on. Anybody that's been on the flight deck out at sea understands what this sound is, but you'll be up there in Vultures Row, which is kind of a viewing area where you can watch flight ops. Uh, but there's so much radar energy that's coming off the tower that yeah. if you have a camera or like an old school uh, point and shoot camera or even your cell phone, you can hear that noise as the radars come by, this kind of yoink, as it's just the radar energy just going by with oh. all these antennas turning back and forth. So the radar interference that you get is it's tremendous. I wish I could calculate it, but man, there's a lot of nerd energy coming out of the back of that boat. Yeah, the fact that too they're able to go through and like figure that out, like, hey, this is not this is not going to interfere with this or that. But then the comical side is like, well, it was like getting a GoPro in the jet. They had to do you know all these studies for GoPros because of like RF frequency. And you're like, I, you know. I just think this one's probably going to be NA, you know, with its yeah, this uh, gonna be NA. <laughs> milliamp uh, output, you know, um, yep. RF frequency. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm no scientist. Uh, my hat's off to the FedEx guys on that. That was yeah, they uh, did that a great job. Wracking. Flying into Austin for myself several times. I don't think I've flown into Austin and not had something crazy happen. So my hat's yeah, off I, to that crew. Man. That could have been really tragic. And again, for those who aren't familiar, um, the weather was really bad in Austin. I had a buddy land there a few hours later, and he said he broke out at 50 feet. So, again, airliners can land, you know, a Cat 3 ILS without ever seeing the runway. FedEx, Feed and I are somewhat familiar, but has an enhanced vision system. But if the weather, if it's a lot of moisture in the air, if it's raining, you're not really going to see the runway um, until you're really low. And I, th I don't know. I haven't read anything. I haven't seen anything yet. I'm guessing that probably the captain, as they got really close, finally saw that plane on the runway. But again, that Southwest, I think, I think they cleared that Southwest for takeoff with FedEx three mile final. Yeah. Which three are inside of three, which is yeah. A day VFR, uh, like perfect weather, maybe with fighters. That's yeah, easy, right? But with the uh, yeah. big old fat planes, uh, not a seven three. No, it's not yeah, gonna work. It's not, <laughs> it's not gonna work out. It's not gonna work out well. And uh, that could have been tragic. So hats off, yeah, again to those guys. I think it was a seven six that did that, right? Yep. Yeah, nice work, dude. That's the thing. Uh, I was just talking the other day with the Italian Eurofighter. We 
uh, we brought up in the bro chat, the admin stuff is what kills people the most, it seems like. there. I mean, obviously people die doing tactical stuff. But all my friends, unfortunately, who passed away, with exception of maybe one, which was a bird strike, the rest were all uh, in admin phases of flight, doing yep. ILSs, doing rejoins. Uh, you know, it's, it is the simple stuff that you take for granted. It is. And that's yeah. a prime example. Those, you know, shooting the ILS, which should be benign, albeit not at 50 feet. That's, that's heart raising for me, but yep. uh, man, it's admin stuff. Simple things. Never can take it for granted. Yep. Never let your guard down. Joins all that, everything uh, spot on. Just like you just said, I've lost quite a few friends in the admin phase of flight and it's, it's heart wrenching, you know, to look back and be like, man, that could have been so avoidable, you know, uh, being an instructor and teaching for, Many, many years, I would always tell the students the same thing. I'm like, dude, approach this like this is the first time you've done this. Even though you've got a couple thousand hours under your belt, approach it like this is the first time you've done it. And at least you will be aware and have the situational awareness to be like, okay, all right. Yeah. You know, with all your fears going up because the day you're like, man, everything's cool, everything's great. And you're like, oh, my God, there's an airplane right there. It'll scare the crap out of you. Yeah, 100%. I always – I flew a lot at night on my last deployment. But you're like, hey, you know, after you do it X number of times, you're like, all right, I got this. And that's when you have to, like, slap yourself and be like, don't get comfortable. I had <laughs> a friend who rejoined, <laughs> like, he was rejoining on a cell phone tower on departure. You know I mean? That's just the weird stuff that can yep. happen that you're like, how is that possible? Like, well, there are a lot of visual illusions out there, and it can happen. And that wouldn't have worked out yep. well. Luckily, he called I had, last a, minute, uh, you know? I had a very senior guy in my backseat on my first, first combat uh, flight going into country. And we were joining around at 135. Weather was terrible. It was snowing up at altitude. And I asked uh, asked my buddy, I was like, hey, man, what are the chances we're going to find a tanker in clear? He goes, zero. Good luck. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I cannot believe I did not rip the probe off because I was so scared. <laughs> I was doing a radar join on this 135. And I'm like, I don't see it yet. We're inside a half a mile. I still don't see it because we got a 500-foot step. And I'm like, I still don't see it. I don't see it. And then out of the blue as we slowly start to step up because track files are basically over top of each other. I'm like, all right. And then I start to see this basket show up out of this snowy cloud. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> he goes, all right, man, you're going to do a great job. I'm like, dude, if you only knew that the percentage of us ripping this probe off right now is quite high. <laughs> Thank God I didn't, but man, I'll be like, <laughs> that, that's terrifying. <laughs> Imagine, imagine being an A-10 with no radar. Be like, that's what I was like, man, how much would it suck to be in country with like, a, there's a thousand planes flying around and you're like, just pair up an air-to-air attack in and go try yeah, to facilitate. I'll, I'll find you eventually. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get there. It's going to be nice and slow and controlled. Yeah. But <laughs> I was like, oh, I need a radar. I need, I need, I need an interrogator. Like, okay, that is the correct... That is the correct squawk. I did get the right radar lock there. Well, what was uh, what was the moment in your time where you had probably the scariest moment in, a, in an F-16 for you? Something that like immediately I, pops in your head. You know, ironically, um, there's two things, and it goes back to landing. I think, did you guys do the Owensboro, Kentucky Air Show? Mm-hmm. So I think bridge? it was, <laughs> uh, I didn't almost hit the bridge. You guys might have almost hit the bridge. I came back. We are we flew it the same. Oh no, you flew it the year after me. I think I was the only jet there, but um, you know, there's not a lot of great. It's like 49 miles to Louisville, and it's 48 miles to another 10,000 foot runway. So the way the Viper demo regs are written, you have to have an 8,000 foot runway, and then you have to have a resting gear within 50 nautical miles, or mm-hmm. like a 10,000 foot runway. The mm-hmm. Raptor has to have an arresting gear. So a little bit looser for the old Viper there. But I came back, and this is actually the second time I happened. You were there for the first time. It was in New Orleans, but I had a brake failure. So in New Orleans, there was a cable, and I was able to do that. I took the departure in cable. So you're like, yeah, why don't you guys take the approach in cable? Like, hey, taking a cable in an Air Force jet is a significant emotional event. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> So uh, it was Owensboro, Kentucky, 8,000-foot runway. It's not like a big runway. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And like always, I'm coming back, and I don't have any gas to mess around with. Like, I can skyhook it. You know, I'm going to be the wrecking ball emergency coming into Louisville. 
Yeah. But I land, I touch down, and I didn't recognize that. So this is the same thing in New Orleans. As you're on uh, final, usually doing the demo, you're going to get a master caution for low fuel, like punch it off. Like it's kind of yeah. habit pattern, and Very then you'll that. go off and then it'll, <laughs> you know, come back on, punch it off again. So I get that, but as I touch down, now master caution, no oral tone associated with it. But as I air brake to 100 knots, put the nose down, step on the brakes, nothing happens. <laughs> this, this is not where you want to go. So like two two options. One, just no, don't go into AB because you're probably going <laughs> to yeah, flame yeah, out. Go mill power, right go around, top. sort it out. <laughs> I quickly switched the brake channel. So we have brake channel one, brake channel two. I switched it to two and it goes into alternate braking mode, which I think is upwards of 50% degraded. And there's no like anti-skid. I'm probably butchering that. But nonetheless, I'm going down the runway and it's just like, it's biting somewhat, but it's taking forever to slow. I mean, I stopped like in the last like 200 feet of the runway. I'm just like, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) and there's like the, uh, I think it was aeroshell guys were out there and they had video of it. Like, yeah, you were smoking the tires all the way down. I'm like, yeah, there's no uh, there's no anti-skid, and I'm just trying not to go off the end of the runway. Guys tow me in, and I'm, like, on the phone with my boss. Like, hey, boss, jet's okay, but uh, my brakes work or didn't work, and now we're going to send the team out to fix them. Subsequently, they sent the team out to fix it. The guys came out the next morning, and the jet was, like, cockeyed. Like, one of the struts had failed, too. So they sent, like, a semi-truck worth of equipment to fix that jet. I was like, whoa, I'm glad – Glad it didn't like it was concurrent, but it was unrelated to the brake failure, but it was just like, oh, yeah, this is great. So that was one. I definitely had a couple in combat where it was like snowing. I had all my ordnance still in the jet, high gas for divert fuel. Winds were kicking. The runway we were at wasn't great. Um, and it's just coming back, you know, the blood pressure is like through the roof. Again, it sounds I sound like a wimp compared to you talking about sea state and stuff, but Dude, the the la- the landing stuff, man. When it's like night, you can't see anything. You're in the weather. You're fighting like spatial disorientation. It's at the end of eight hours of flying, and you're like, all right, man, I might have to divert to whatever field. And this is the fun part too. On our deployment, I was in charge of like all the uh, approach plates and stuff, and ma- managing that, and, like divert packs. We had one field in Jordan that we didn't like. You couldn't find any approach plates for, but it was one of our diverts. And then we finally found a TACAN approach from like 1994. And so if you just like, I'm like, all right, I have magnetic variation. I know that changes. If you did, it was like 23 degrees or something like that. It <laughs> swung, you know, in that time period. It's crazy. But, dude, man, yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah, I, I just think I remember in Bureau Beach, it was, uh, let's see, it's 2018. Uh, the weather was down. It was low. And... Uh, Biggs and I were setting up. It was five and six. We were about, see, I think we were doing, I think the four point, I forget. I forget what maneuver we were doing. And uh, so we were beak to beak and the diamond was coming from behind the crowd. And there was an overcast layer of maybe, maybe a thousand feet or so, slightly above. And our divert, kind of the same thing of what you just said, was down in Avon Park, which was a ways away in the range, which was a VFR only divert. And so I didn't think anything of it. uh, But then... Out of nowhere, about three miles crowd left of the field, I hit what we call the million-dollar pelican. Never saw it, but just immediate explosion. Left motor totally exploded. Just boom. I looked down, freaked out, shit my pants. Just kidding. But I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, what just happened? And I know I'm beak to beak with number six right now. And I looked down to see if I needed to immediately divert because if it's the right engine, we got to go like there's no choice, no chance. Like just get over there, put your hook down, mainly blow the gear down and then take a trap out in Avon park. It was a left engine. Thank God. I thought I hit a drone because how hard the jet torqued when the engine immediately seized because I was up on power. There's a pretty famous video on the internet about it. Uh, somebody captured the video and did a great job of it. Uh, and as the engine exploded, I looked down, it was 1300 degrees on the temp. It was RPM zero. And I took about just a, just a few seconds. I'm like, all right, I'm still big to big with six. I know the diamonds over here to the right. I can bleed off as much energy as I can. 
just say feeds clearing behind the crowd and Biggs, your solo, he goes, Biggs does his thing, does flawless, picks up the show as a single ship, does his thing. And I bled off as much energy behind the crowd, crowd left. And I told Utah, I said, Hey, feed's going to land below you because at this maneuver, the diamond was about to take up all this airspace. So there's going to be jets everywhere. And I told Utah, I said, feed's going to land below you beak to beak. And then typical Utah fashion, he's like, Utah. <laughs> so I think he was going out like 150 feet right over my head. I'm at 75 feet below him coming in to land. And it was totally flawless. We land. Uh, maintenance guys go, hey, feed, what's going on? I said, look down the left engine when I pull in. They're like, oh, my God, you totally annihilated this motor. What did you hit? I'm like, I have no clue. Something really bad happened. I didn't even think I hit a bird. I couldn't tell. I thought maybe it was catastrophic failure or hit a drone or something. And then after we had taxied and done the show and whatever and come out, people said, hey, you're the guy. I'm like, what guy? I'm like, yeah, there's a video of you hitting a bird. I'm like, can I please have that? Oh, my gosh, I'd love to see that. Sure enough, I mean, it was – it just – it knocked off one of the Vortex generators and just ping-ponged through the motor and just completely annihilated the engine. So that was one of those moments like what you were saying. It's like, oh, my yeah. gosh. You win. So- the video is epic. I mean, you had like a 60-foot flame coming out the back of the motor. It was like, whoa. And then you go, I don't at, at the end of the movie, it's all about, you know, motivating kids, right? Because I was a happy kid at the end of that video. Like, hey, I saw fire. It's cool. Yeah. Hey, that man, he was going fast. The cool part of that, too, I love about it is like how dynamic and complex of a routine that is, right? But how in sync you guys are, man. Dude, you just blew your motor blew up and you don't know what's going on. Like you're handling your stuff and you're gonna land in like Utah. You know, it's like, just Utah. like yeah, I love that. The uh and may it's like yeah, you just get used to kind of dealing with yep. bad things. With I had a couple of generator yep. failures again. In the Viper, if you lose one motor, you got two options. Yeah. Like land it, <laughs> maybe you restart in that process, or two, you're gonna ride the rocket ship and get out of there. That's why I think talking to you, I feel like you've been single engine a lot in your career and uh, probably yeah. flying a Viper is not the plane for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. You yeah. need, you, you need two motors, man. Yeah. Was it Jacksonville uh, that you had the over G of the nose gear? Was that you or is that Biggs? No, that was Biggs where uh, on the pole from behind the crowd, his gear came down at 6.7 G's at 0.99. And you can see it in his HUD recording. You see the HUD recording go quack like this as he's under complete G pulling all the way up and perfect picture of it. I've got a great picture of the wings completely bent up like this and then the nose gear sticking out. <laughs> it's going all the way up. Oh my. Didn't rip one thing off. No doors came off, nothing. So uh, I think we proved that uh, the gear doors are a bit over-engineered, which is nice. <laughs> so, but at what? the same show, yeah. it was Vero Beach the next day that Biggs uh, had that nose gear failure. So I have a perfect picture of both solo jets, Max performed, in the hangar because both of them were broken. <laughs> so we're like, sorry. <laughs> 2019, uh, was that the transition to the Super Hornet? No. I think it was. Or, or was yeah. It? Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. 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 It was about time for those legacy Hornets. You guys really put those things through the ring. Yeah, we man. did. Yep. I think, uh, well, you know, one of the emotional events um, in the jet was when Dunbar called me. Um, gosh, this would have been probably around 17. He said, Hey, Pete, I got an idea. <laughs> I want to run this by you, and I want you to tell me no. <laughs> so, we actually held on to this for quite a while. It was, uh, let's see, there was one of the guys that came back, uh, Billy Worth, uh, just come back from deployment. He was a 135 guy, plus in the air show industry. And it was the year of the tanker at Oshkosh. And so we were going to Fargo, and Dunbar wanted us Lovely. to drop in and see if we could do a surprise flyover uh, of Oshkosh on Wednesday at 14.31 and 31 seconds. 14.30 and 31 seconds. And so we planned the whole thing out. We gave it to Daryl. Daryl planned the whole thing out with the tanker, and we basically flight planned it backwards from that flyover to say, all right, that means it's going to take us this much time, this much for tanker, this much for brief taxi and all that stuff. So that means we've got to take off. I think we took off. Geez, six, we probably walked like six hours prior to the flyover, and we had one mm-hmm. hose for six jets, no spare, um, brief boss up saying, hey, I know you've never been here before, but this is what this looks like. You're going to talk to Boggs on the radio. This is all going to work out. And uh, Rob Ryder was singing the national anthem 
he was beaten up Dunbar as well because he said, who's doing the flyover? He goes, I'm not telling you a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, eventually he uh, saw that the blues were coming over while he was singing the national anthem. He said it was very difficult for him because he was getting emotional. He's like, I don't know how they pulled it off. And of course there's a lot of people out there that follow the blues. So we even came up with the idea. I think it was Daryl's idea to change, um, uh, change the call sign. So we used Boris one, one for Butch Boris and some of the people even figured that out because we use the blue angel frequencies. So thank goodness they didn't get out too much, but everybody right. was very surprised to see uh, that we were flying over, which is pretty awesome. That was cool. That was an emotional moment. That's really cool. I mean, I remember standing there. I didn't know you guys were, and I had an inkling that something was going to happen and kind of putting two to two together. I think you might've texted like, Hey, you know, watch out. But Oshkosh, you don't get jet team. Like, you don't get Thunderbirds, you don't get the Blues because the aerobatic box is so limited there. I had to modify my show. Whoever is like in that house same. that won't move. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 you got to be cognizant, and we can do a whole thing on air shows and how all that works. The cool part too is with E three, the fact you're joining in, it's awesome. You mentioned Dunbar who ran Oshkosh for ten years. Now he's running Sun and Fun. We got our chalet and being the title sponsors of Sun and Fun this year. It's gonna be a cool year. I yeah. I know you're still working if you're gonna make it or not, but I know we got a lineup of just awesome people gonna be rolling through the tent, doing interviews, doing talks and stuff like that. So it should be a lot yeah, of fun. That's gonna be a blast, man. It's exciting to come down there. I think I will be able to come down. Uh, I don't know how many days, but I uh, definitely have cleared my schedule to be able to get down there with you guys. It'll be awesome to see Dunbar and the whole entire crew in action and sun and fun. So Yeah, you I don't know wait. it, but I already put you and me on the schedule. So like you're a hard tune, so you gotta make it. <laughs> And you then whatever better. else we can squeeze out of you, so to speak. Yeah. Cool, man. Dude, I Looking know. To it, yeah, Pete, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I appreciate you taking the time today. It's good just kind of catch up. We got a lot more we can jump into, but, uh, yeah. you know, we got to leave leave something for Rain, the people. Rain, it's to, awesome, to man. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, as to you, all the best, buddy. Cheers, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Talk soon, bro. 